Uh, there once was a podcast that almost wasn't. That's right, we're back. Uh, we did a little bit of rescheduling, and also last week we had a bit of technical difficulties. Uh, so in, we're holding off on doing riffs for this episode, and this time we are tackling Il Natale Che Casi Non Fu, or The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. <laughs> Okay, uh, so how you guys doing? I'm doing okay. Just uh, being slightly sad because it's the last day of the whole Thanksgiving break. That's true. I am nearly dead, but I'm here anyways. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully we can pull back from that. We don't, yeah. I don't know where we would find a third co-host. <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. I'm tired, but that's a common thing in my life these days. Uh, okay, so uh, as I mentioned, uh, we're doing The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. Uh, this is Grant's pick, so why don't you go ahead and tell us a bit about the movie? Okay, so I learned about this movie from watching the new season, oh, the re first season of the reboot of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Then I completely forgot I ever watched it, but for some reason remembered the movie itself. Then I realized, oh, hey, you know, since we're releasing around this time of year when everybody wants to drink a pumpkin, then... <laughs> did you know pumpkin spice isn't actually spice made from pumpkin? It's spice for pumpkin. Yeah, I, I'm aware of that. They're, they're, uh, if you go to Panera, they actually have a pumpkin spice latte that has, like, pumpkin puree in it, and it's, like, the only place I've ever seen that. Oh, wow. Nice. Hmm. Otherwise, it's just, like... Cinnamon and nutmeg. Yeah. Yeah, so I figured that since we're around this time of year, might as well try looking at some sort of weird, goofy Christmas movie and continue our theme of child suffering. <laughs> well, that, that this certainly delivered in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So a little bit of background. Uh, so this is an Italian-American movie from 1966. Um, and, like, I... I I can't, it's hard to, like, they, to the extent that they redubbed parts of it into English, it's it's actually hard to tell, partly just because, like, uh, some of the characters are definitely speaking English and not being dubbed, and others are being dubbed pretty well. So it was directed by and stars a Italian actor named Rossano Brazzi, uh, and he was one of those actors that kind of did really well for a while and then fell into doing weird B movies. His co-star is an American uh, like musician and children's entertainer named Paul Tripp with two P's. And he got really well known for doing a piece called Tubby the Tuba. I remember that somehow. What the where did I see that? I, I don't know. I would have I would not be surprised if it showed up as like an MST3K short or something, but yeah. Um, and then he uh, he did a show called Mr. I Imagination, because I guess he was into, like, l late 90s CCGs. <laughs> I'm glad someone got that joke. Um, and so if you want to watch the movie yourself, um, I guess that's a thing you can do with your life if you like. You can find the complete uh, unedited movie on Amazon Prime Video, albeit, uh, like, there, there's a thing where, like, the they took the 480p 4.3 ratio version and just put that up, except that that version is letterboxed, so it's like it has a black border all the way around the screen when you watch it on Amazon. 
uh, and but there's also the new season of MST3K, which is on Netflix. So if you want to watch it with a guy and two robots making jokes about it, as opposed to three nerds making jokes about it on this podcast, you can watch it on Netflix. Okay, so. All right, so let's get the general premise down, which is explained almost entirely within the opening sequence. Yeah, so uh, you get this animated musical opening about how there once was a Christmas that almost wasn't, almost wasn't, almost wasn't. Yeah, and it basically lays down that there's this evil guy named Prune who is trying to stop Christmas. But don't worry, it all ends okay, kids. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, Phineas T. Prune. Or Phineas T., that is. (laughs) Yes. So after the whole opening cartoon sequence, we open up on this lawyer, Sam Whipple, who is putting up decorations. And then a mysterious bearded man approaches him, who seems really kind of down. Yeah, and so so this, this is this turns out to be Santa Claus, of course, but he's wearing like a big gray hat and a trench coat and just especially because his beard is actually gray, does not look like Santa Claus at first, like at all. Yeah. Yeah, he is just completely in disguise, going incognito. He is basically trying to keep his head down till the heat dies down. <laughs> yeah, so apparently cuz uh uh Sam is Sam, who is played by Paul Tripp, is putting up Christmas decorations on the street. And Santa tells him that he needs help because Christmas may not be coming this year, hence the title of the movie. Thanks to Phineas T. Prune, the millionaire who doesn't like children and wants Santa to stop giving them presents because this movie needs a bad guy, I guess. Yeah, and he has a very specific way to stop Christmas. You see, he has used his money to buy the North Pole... Because that is apparently a thing you can do. Mm-hmm. In in this, yeah, this is like any Christmas movie is pulling on a kind of contrived mythology. But the, the, this one, like, you really need to turn your brain off more than usual because there, there's some major, weird, dumb contrivances going on. The, the other great thing about this scene is just that, like, a cop shows up and it, he's just being a friendly cop because Sam Whipple is a, a well-to-do white guy. And while that's happening, Santa just, like, looks really freaked out and, like, kind of tries to make himself look inconspicuous in the corner of the shot. It feels like they wanted the... It feels like they had to figure out how to zoom in at that point, so Santa's supposed to be off-frame, but instead he's just standing incredibly awkwardly at the very corner of the screen. It's such a bizarre moment. He's wanted for a few cases of (laughs) (laughs) B&E. Yeah, he's gotta stay low. He breaks lots of laws. He breaks and enters. He travels around the world without a valid passport. That'll be great for like the the four people who get that reference. Um, Yeah, so they go to uh, Sam's office, which is very cluttered. And he explains about what's happening. And then he explains that uh, Sam, he came to Sam not because he knew that Sam was a lawyer, but because he, because Sam was the only kid who ever wrote back to Santa to say thank you after Christmas was over, and he spelled thank you with two Ks, which is a bad spelling error, and and thankfully it wasn't three, or he would have blacklisted Sam, I guess. I think they established him as the only child who ever thanked Santa Claus, which seems like this is really a world of ungrateful children. Yeah. Nobody else in the last thousand years had thought to uh, 
go, oh, wow, stuff showed up. <laughs> cool. Also, uh, uh, Sam ended his letter with, if you ever need anything, Santa, please call on yours truly. And then gives his name as a child as Sam Whipple Esquire. So he graduated early. Yeah. Or, or him becoming a lawyer wasn't like he was one of those kids who brings a briefcase to school. The bar was very low. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. The bar was very low. Well, uh, c- considering how the law works in this movie, as we'll discuss, it's uh, yeah. Um, God. And so Sam was like, oh, I'll give you money if I have it. And he, like, oddly enough, he doesn't have the rent money in his pocket change or in his safe. Oh, uh, do we explain the rent stuff? Um, so, so yeah, the reason why Santa is in trouble and Christmas might not come is because, as we said, uh, Mr. Prune bought the North Pole and has been charging rent, except that Santa can't pay it because he's a magical whatever and doesn't have cash money. So he owes a, an entire year of back rent. So yeah, th- th- this is this is this was made in 1966. So there's not going to be a GoFundMe to save the North Pole, but yeah. At least he's been a good tenant. Yeah. Well, it, that's the other thing is like it. It seems like I don't understand the geography of this movie along along with many many other things because it's like they like the, the north pole is seemingly a short walk from this town which makes me think that this is a world where like the north pole is somewhere in like minnesota and it's just called the north pole yeah i just kind of read it as like a really north town because there's snow mm. and it snows in the north this is me from the bay area and my understanding of weather yeah same yeah you can't see me but i'm incredibly angry right now <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, at least... Okay, so yeah, up in the north, they have snow instead of ash. Yeah, that was a thing that came up the other day when it was like, well, you know, my my online friend Char was saying that he had to, like, dig his car out of the snow to go drive somewhere. And it's like, well, at least Char can breathe. I can't can't go outside without a mask right now. Well, it's finally subsided, but man, the, the wildfires just, yeah. We had the second day of rain in the year... Or felt like it anyways. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. I think there might have been some back in like January, but yeah. Anyway. Oh yeah. So Sam, you know, he's a lawyer. He told Santa, you know what? It, as a child, if you ever, ever need a favor, you know, just call it in and I will help you out. So at first Sam is like, oh hey, I'll go ahead and, you know, just see if I can chip in to help with the rent. So First thing he does is he opens this safe and then just sort of laughs and shrugs and says, oh, yeah, I'm a good lawyer, but I keep forgetting to send out the bills, which tells me that people are kind of ungrateful for his help. Well, maybe that's what this world is about. Like, he's the only person who thanks people and pays his bills. (laughs) Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. There are some serious problems here. Yeah. Um, But but. So they resolve to go and see Mr. Prune and talk to him about the matter. And I, I love the line that Sam says, we'll go to his grouchy house and see his pickle <laughs> yeah. face. And uh, it is kind of amazing that Mr. Prune ha- just happens to live in the same town. Like across the street, practically. Yeah, yeah like this is, this is an extreme coincidence. So they walk across the street to Mr. Prune's house and this dog just goes completely insane this dog that's sort of like tied up to the front i guess mm-hmm. like right at the front door 
And left out in the snow, too. That's kind of messed up. Not kind of. Very messed up. Yeah, and this butler, who I swear was, like, created by the... Oh, gosh, the Tim Burton or something. Like, he's got the sunken-in eyes. He's pale. He's got, like, this kind of... Man, I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah, he, he 100% looks like he would be more at home at the Munsters. And for whatever reason, later we find out that his name is Blossom. Yeah, I guess it's kind of funny if you're a child, and this is a movie made for children, even though it's about lawyers and landowners and capitalists. He, this this whole movie, we'll, we'll talk about the overall thing at the end, but like the whole movie is just like a way to just like wave some Christmas stuff at children in a theater, it seems like. Yeah, that seems accurate. Although apparently like... In the 80s, they just, like, ran it every Christmas on HBO. Really? Wow. Yeah, like, I I, I got, re- I pulled reviews from Amazon for the end of this, and there were some people who were just like, yeah, I remember watching this every year on HBO. Man. Which is a, yeah, <laughs> quite a thing to look forward to, I guess, but, yeah. Anyway, so, so, yeah. so Blossom is, like, the fun, is, like, the leading comedy character in this, and, like, if, I, I want to see him in a better movie, but, yeah, I just, like, he's just, like... <sighs> Mr. Prude is out. Well, where is he? He's out. When will be in? He's he's not in because he's out. Like, just mm. like if you if you apply the timing to actual good dialogue, it would be amazing. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, he tells them off, and so they head off and go to the North Pole. What did this scene add to the movie? Uh, Blossom being a guy. It added about forty five seconds of running time, and since this is a ninety minute movie, it kind of needed it. Yeah. I... <laughs> Yeah, true, true. Yeah, when when a B movie is around ninety minutes, that usually means that there was not a lot on the cutting room floor. Uh, they use every part of the B film. <laughs> yeah, damn B roll. So I guess Santa and Sam Whipple Esquire go to the North Pole for reasons. Uh, oh, why did they do it? I think it's because he wanted to show him how Prune shows up at every at dinner time or something like that. Oh, yeah, he shows up at dinner time all the time, always. Like, spitefully to, to spoil their dinner. Yeah. So, uh, we start with Mrs. Claus, uh, who's actually played by uh, the wife of Bratzi, the guy who plays Mr. Prune. Uh, Mrs. Claus is, like, collecting snow to make tea. She's going to I, to boil it to make tea, and she finds that the elves, who all look like angry little people who just like hurriedly, like they were just like at a Metallica concert and quickly changed into elf outfit. <laughs> like a lot of them have like goatees and soul patches for some reason. Um, they aren't working because they're sure that Prune is going to come and take all the toys, but she gets them to start working or like whatever approximation of work they do to look like they're elves working in a movie. Yeah, it is just kind of like, oh yeah, they're swinging hammers and hitting partially assembled toys over and over uh, like some kind of team fortress turret and like slathering paint over stuff that's already been painted and uh, thin your paints yeah uh, then this is where we meet the supervisor of the elves who is a really tall lanky guy with wild wild white hair named jonathan and he sings the first of many nonsense songs that he sings which, which is the earliest instance i've heard of the the phrase dilly dally shilly shally which i guess now we know where they got it for the advent children dub dilly dally shilly shally yes yeah so this song adds to the runtime the uh 
Trip is like a really accomplished musician and like they did some genuinely good songs in this and then there's some not so good ones especially when Jonathan is singing oh yeah yeah I feel like Jonathan must have been somebody's nephew or something mm-hmm. they're they're tall strange nephew who they don't normally talk about or talk to yes um <laughs> uh yeah so they do a camera shake so santa is home and mrs claus tells him that he lands too quickly again which is and i think it's fair considering the loud crash that happens every time anybody shows up I, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i feel like at that point it's something wrong with the house not with the whatever's like that thing is not earthquake proof uh and this is also where we find out that Santa calls his wife mother. Yeah, it is really creepy. Well, at least to me. Like, everything else he does is really wholesome and kind of innocent. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, it's just like, it, the people I know who do that are, like, Santa in this movie and Mike Pence. And, like, that's it. Oedipus. <laughs> God damn it. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, so while... Uh, Santa and Sam are coming to the house. The elves all come in, and then they they scold the elves to leave. So naturally, the way they leave is by bending down to pass through Jonathan's spread legs. As you do, yeah, yeah. That, that don't you do that every time your boss asks you to leave a room? Maybe it's an Italian thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll ask our Italian friend about that, or maybe not, because that would be terrible. But. Um, it turns out that uh, Mr. Prune, uh, played by Bratzi, so he's very Italian, was waiting outside. Like, they literally lure him inside by loudly saying, dinner is ready. Yeah, and then he just busts through the door. And, and like, he's, like, like this is where he starts to reveal, like, his whole motivation and stuff. And, and like, Mrs. Claus says men are such children, which is kind of a theme in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, just because he's wants to show up specifically to mess with dinner. Uh, that and just th- there's some very childish behavior on Sam's part later on in the movie. And yeah, like in the, in, in the uh, MST3K episode, they just had, you know how they do. They like have actors playing the parts of characters from the movie doing skits. And so they have like Joel Hodgson playing Santa. And then they have some guy as uh, Sam who's like, Who's just like a some kind of like age regression fetishist? That ooh, I'm a baby, goo goo gaga. Like go go, Sam, go go sit down over there. Wait, Joel was on the on the camera, or yeah, he plays one of the guys in the radiation suits that like puts the liquefied movie in and stuff like that. Yeah, ah, okay. He's involved with the show. It's kind of cool to see him. Huh? Yeah, I'll have to watch that again. So yeah, Mr. Prune, of course, begins to sing because that's what people do in this movie. And he sings specifically about how children are terrible. Like, well, that and like he's jealous of them. Like, he's like, why won't someone spoil me too? Dudu, goo goo, all the silly face. <laughs> that he, He's Italian and they're willing to give him bad grammar to sing. Yeah, it's it's real weird. And you kind of get the idea that he's kind of a terrible monster of a human being. He wears this, like, black top hat. He's got this mustache. He dresses like Dracula, I guess. Yeah, he would be, like, per- he basically has, like, a Snidely Whiplash outfit. Oh, yeah. Or, like, like it's. It, I think they're aiming for, like, a, a bit of Ebenezer Scrooge, except that, like, 
he's this like swarthy Italian guy with a mustache and it's a weird crossover mashup. Yeah. So he says that, oh yeah, Santa needs to pay the rent. Otherwise this law allows a landlord to claim a tenant's possessions if they don't pay the rent. And in this case, he intends to claim all of the Christmas toys. Yeah, which is like, uh, uh, that's another thing where it's just like, wow, that's not how it works. And if it were, it would be really terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you like, look, it, it sucks that your tenant doesn't pay the rent, but you don't get to take everything they own in the world. <laughs> yeah. In extreme cases, they may sell it off, but yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the cost of a toy for every child in the world would probably be more than whatever the rent is. <laughs> well, and as we'll get into, the like quantities of money are very strange and vague in this movie. So, but anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, Mr. Prune sits down, and when he sits down, he kind of points his crotch right at the camera and then lays his cane squarely between his legs, and that didn't belong in a children's movie. <laughs> yeah, it Prune is really something. He plays the role well, but it is a weird role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like I would be totally down for checking out some of Bratzi's older movies, but yeah. So, uh, what's it? The elves start trying to accuse him of something of being a terrible person, I forget. Uh well, like Sam tell Sam says, What does the T in Phineas T prune stand for? I, I bet it stands for tightwad. And Prune gets really offended by this. Like, you know, he's trying to destroy Christmas, but he does not want to be called a tightwad for <laughs> reasons. Yeah. So there's this whole very short, but still kind of weird mock trial thing about it. Yeah, like like they just, you, you have a right to a trial by a jury of musty smelling elves. Like they just kind of bluster him into it and like... He's weirdly, like, offended by the whole thing. Like, he has no reason to give a damn about, like, anything they're saying. But for whatever reason, he's just decided that he's really mad that they would dare to call him a tightwad. Yeah, and it's a little weird because we haven't seen him do anything with money aside from ask for it. Yeah, he's just, like, he's not a (laughs) very well-drawn character, really. He's just really mad about Christmas for some reason. They do develop him more later on, but it's a very, very simple fable, I guess. It's definitely goofy. It's like Scrooge, but without employees, I guess. Well, I guess he owns land, so he never has to work. I feel like the thing that gets me here is they are accusing him of being cheap, but they've already established his motivation is that he hates children. So it's, I feel like that's kind of lowballing compared to the actual thing they established two seconds ago in the scene. Yeah, I mean, if they sang a song about how he's a psycho who hates children, like, I don't know, I guess... And he's also cheap, so that's, you know, just the cherry on top. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, T stands for terror. That's That should be a movie. That must be a movie. <laughs> T for Dial T for terror. It's a sequel to Dial M for murder and <laughs> Dial F for failure. That was what popped in my head first, which may say more about me than anything. Um, yeah, so I I, I want to say that like I 
think that the Claws house in this movie smells exactly like a thrift store. It's got the exact look of a place where if you smell it, it gives you vertigo. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it's like everything was brought back in time so that it was made in the 60s, but like from today in the 60s. So I don't know. Anyway, um, so there is not a lot of room in the house either. Yeah, it, it's very small considering that he makes presents for every Gentile child on Earth. Yeah. So after that weird trial, which I don't think ever reaches any kind of conclusion to prove that he doesn't care only about money, he says that he'll go ahead and forgive the rent entirely. And then Santa is thrilled. Everybody is happy like they won. Like he doesn't obviously have some kind of catch in the fine print. Like, oh, no, you got to change your part. The movie's over. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh no, you didn't read the fine print, now I, you gave up your right to collectively <laughs> sue. Uh. No, but what he actually says right after everybody is so happy is that he'll forgive the rent if Santa promises to never, ever again give presents to children. And Santa refuses and says something in this movie that I think is honestly kind of nice. He says he, he gives presents to kids so that one day they'll learn to give too. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that that's actually how it works. Cause yeah, but it's a nice sentiment. Some kids give stuff and they want more stuff, but... Yeah. yeah. And also, only one of those kids has ever said thanks, so it shows how good yeah. he's done that. <laughs> I mean, they don't give stuff back to Santa. <laughs> Oh, it was just a long con for Santa. Oh, let's just say they don't pay with money. <laughs> um, yeah, so after that, Prune sings about how bad he is because he's an antagonist in a musical movie. Um, he doesn't twirl his mustache for some reason. And he also gets really mad when they tell him that he was obviously a child too once. Like, he dares them to prove it. That's a very odd thing even for this movie i'm kind of sad that this doesn't really pan out because i was really hooked on the idea that he was just this elemental force who came to the world fully grown and it turns out that he had just forgot he was ever a child which he came out of his mother hat first <laughs> <laughs> he's just like a personification of the beliefs about uh ebenezer scrooge that somehow got mixed with a cannoli <laughs> yes all right, so apparently to try to prove it, Santa has his head elf, Jonathan, go through his records because he has detailed information on every child that has ever existed. And these books are large, but there's like 30 of them. Like, apparently there aren't many children in this world. Uh, they just have small handwriting. <laughs> Very, yeah. It's just the giant book of microfiche. And of course they do this while singing a song, which is one of the worst songs in the movie. Although I love the, because the chorus of it is, we don't care if it all makes sense. The name of the song is Prune. And it's like, yeah, that, that, that sums up this movie pretty well. Yeah, I mean, they got to pad out and get their 90 minutes. Mm. But yeah, they just start saying nonsense words that all end with oon. Prune, spoon, prune, prune. Yeah. And also, like, apparently Santa's records are by type of food, because they keep going, like, apricot? No prune! Lemon? No prune! Uh, yeah. So this goes nowhere, because Sam gets the idea that, oh, hey, 
you know, if you have to pay the rent and you that don't want to have to stop giving presents, maybe we could go ahead and just get you a job like this close to Christmas. Never mind the fact that he Sam is a lawyer and can't afford this. Though, on the other hand, he doesn't send his bills. But uh, so anyway, yeah, Santa and Sam head out to look for some kind of job before Christmas. Yeah, and there's not like, okay, for one thing, like apparently like seasonal jobs weren't a thing in 1966, I guess, because like that's like now it's downright a cliche that they'll bring, you know, seasonal work in a department store into a Christmas movie. If they made this movie today, there would undoubtedly be a montage of Sam and Santa going around trying to be like, I don't know, janitors or vending machine repairmen or say something funny, guys. Mm. I'm, I'm leaving you hanging high and dry. I got nothing. God, what is the real name for the job that I keep thinking is called Corpse Stuffer? <laughs> um, Undertaker? Are you thinking of some kind of reverse mortician? Wait, is there a difference between Undertakers and morticians? I think the Undertaker is the guy who... I'm thinking of Paul Bearer. <laughs> uh, well, the Undertaker! Oh, I don't think my voice can go high enough to do a Percy Pringle impression. But Did you hear about that? The the guy who was Paul Bearer, the who uh, was the Undertaker sidekick in wrestling, his real name in real life is Percy Pringle. Oh, wow. Aw, that's cute. It's amazing. Heir to the Pringles fortune. Yeah. <laughs> they also killed off his character by, by putting him in a box and filling it with cement. Well, it was fake cement or he would have suffocated, but still. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, we go to Mr. Prim's department store. Yeah, Mr. Prim is some new character that has never been foreshadowed at all. And has some wild hair. Yeah, so Sam says, oh, hey, uh, maybe we can work here. And they get turned away at first because, again, seasonal jobs weren't a thing. But then Mr. Prim looks at Santa and thinks, oh, hey, you know, turn around, turn around. You look just like him. When he said turn around, I, that was like, like, uh, are you guys going to do a casting couch kind of thing? Because this is a children's movie. <laughs> yeah. Santa starts to say, well, he is Santa. But Sam, for some reason, interrupts him. Never mind that. We have no reason to think there's any reason why Santa should misrepresent himself. Yeah, it's not exactly like the World of Darkness thing going on. Santa is overtly Santa at all times. Yeah. Well, except when the cops are around. <laughs> yeah. All of the any charges. Yep. Yeah, so together, someone, or maybe all of them, comes up with an idea where kids can... Where they go ahead and put Santa in a chair then kids can come up to this Santa and sit on his lap. And then he goes, ho, 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 what would you like, little girl? And then they say it. And yeah, he is certain that this is going to outsell all the other stores put together. Yep. He doesn't limit it to just all other toy stores. He just says, I'm going to outsell all the other stores put together. Yeah, just to... Not only Woolworths, but also like Orchard Supply and the record store and the malt shop and whatever else they had in 66. Oh, yeah. He's going to own half of the money. Yep. Um, yeah. So and Sam asks if he can get a job, too, and they hire him on as a janitor. And apparently being a department store Santa and a janitor for a bit less than a month is enough to pay a year of rent on the North Pole. Uh, a month? It feels like a week. 
I don't know. Time is weird. Yeah, the, they. I, the, yeah, I think they actually show a calendar, and it starts at like on like the twelfth or the sixteenth of December or something uh, like that. Okay. But then again, in that same scene, they show Sam like pulling pages off of the calendar one after the other, and it's hard to tell if he's <laughs> just gone calendar mad or if that's a device. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Who knows? But anyway, yeah. Santa, after they accept the job confides in Sam that he has no idea how to deal with children, which Sam thinks is weird because he's Santa Claus. That's all he deals with. And he says, oh, no, you know, I, when I deal with children, they're all sleeping. They're all unconscious. You know, they aren't talking or moving or anything. What are children like when they're awake? And then he starts singing and wondering about if they're all well-mannered and nice and sweet when they're awake, just like when they are when they're asleep. Then he has a mild panic attack. Yeah, it, you worry about Santa at this point, because it's like, apparently mm. he has some kind of severe social anxiety or something going on, and then he's singing, what are children like when they're wide awake? Like, never once, apparently, has he come into a house and one of the children stays up or got woken up by his incredibly loud landings on roofs. <laughs> yeah. Then... If tendency to break into fun. Yes. It is really something. Yeah, and, and Sam tries to coach him through... Uh, Sam tries to coach him through how to be a Santa, a mall Santa, and it's really weird and painful. So it's like, say, how are you, my boy? How are you, my boy? Yeah. Like, he starts to get it after a while, but... Yeah, it is weird to, like, have somebody coach you on how to be you, and then you mess it up. Mm -hmm. It's it's really weird how the whole second act of this movie is sort of this... They backdoored a Mall Santa origin story into something that is much more fanciful, aside from this really weirdly mundane part about getting a job. Yeah, it's... I guess this movie tried to be more grounded with having rent and work and stuff, but it still feels... I mean, this is Santa Claus. It's going to be hard to treat him with any kind of... I don't know. Well, Santa is this mythical figure, and, like, the, the better fictional... The better stories that deal with him as an actual character, as opposed to just a mythic archetype, still make him much more of, like a mythic character who like they write around him in a way that he doesn't have to be a fully a person so much as a force of nature, I think. And here trying like having him of all things be anxious about doing one of the things that is supposed to be so much his jam that it, that like it's a cliche is really strange. Yeah. It's, it's weird, but I'm a little curious about what, Santa's stereotypical behaviors are like in different traditions around the world. I feel like he's no longer like just a Western European slash American thing now. He's kind of been adopted by people. I don't know. Yeah, it. It. I mean, I, I think like like in Japan, for example, like I feel like their portrayal of Santa is aimed at even younger kids than here, and it uh like it's pulling from like western media and stuff rather than getting as much from the uh the myths themselves and i have no idea about 
other countries. And then, you know, even if you stay in Europe, like actually more so if you stay in Europe, there's a great variety of like variations of Santa Claus and various helpers that he has. And of course, there's Krampus. (laughs) Yeah. So there is a montage or something where Santa and Sam just start playing with all of the toys in the store. And apparently in the 60s, toys were much, much more wagon-centric. Yeah, I think they didn't really figure out how to do toys until, like, 1983. <laughs> I think before then it was 80% wooden horses. <laughs> it's really felt that way here. Yeah, all hand-painted. Yeah, it's just, like, primitive wheeled vehicles and, like, plush toys. And some of the plush toys are really disturbing-looking. Yeah... The customers start showing up, and they and they show one lady who's just really uh, pissed off about seeing grown-ups playing with toys. But the first lady who actually brings her daughter to see Santa is seriously delighted, and is like, you know, imagine Mister Prim going to all that trouble to find an old man with a real beard. Yeah, it. How could she tell it was real? Uh, the, he he let them tug on it a little bit. Oh, that's right. That's right. Which is which is a cliche in Christmas movies. Yeah, why do people? I have seen people with beards that could pass as Santa beards. Yeah, well, like that's the thing is like there's a whole industry of guys who play Santa around Christmas time, and like a lot of them do grow real white beards, and yeah. Oh, there's not really the uh, tradition that we have in real life of mall Santa fake beards as a cultural image. So she's just assuming that some guy with a beard has a fake beard at this point, which is really... That child has been hurt by promises of beards in the past, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that... Like, they just keep running into, like, lumberjacks who are fakers, and... Yeah. Yeah, oh gosh. They see a picture of Abraham Lincoln, and they just, like... No, from before, he shaved it off. They just frown. (laughs) That kid must have been the one who sent the letter to Abraham Lincoln telling him he looked better without the beard. <laughs> Which is an actual thing, by the way. Um, anyway. Well, I've so been told, at least. Th- there's a lot of, I mean, man, letters to presidents. Um, <sighs> where, where were we? Okay. Uh, so now we have another scene with Prune and Blossom. And this time Prune is like, or not Prune, Blossom is like covered in cobwebs for some reason like he was just like 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 it was like he went into one of the many many dusty cobweb covered corners of this house and just rolled around a bit for some reason (laughs) yeah it's it's weird but i mean so is blossom in general so that might have been the vibe yeah that's probably the vibe they were going for prune is upset because santa has found a job in this economy and now that Santa has a job, he's going to be able to pay the rent. I don't know why he assumes that a mall Santa can pay the rent, but... Well, well, we found out the rent isn't very much, even though Mr. Prune has control over that, unless there's some kind of rent control on the North Pole. Where did we find out that the rent isn't very much? Um, well, there's the scene later on where where they get the pay for the department store job. Oh, that's right, that's right, yeah. And apparently that's enough, even though it totals up to, like, $750. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, Prune is not happy that Santa has a job, and he's like, I must think! And Blossom replies, don't you think you ought to leave that sort of thing to me, sir? I've got to think of something, think of something, think of something. 
Wait, is it now or later? It's now, yeah. There's a lot of yeah. talk about thinking and not a lot of thinking going on. Until finally Blossom coaxes him to take some medicine and he gets out this this uh, bottle that's labeled Soothing Tonic and gives him more and more and more until Prune grabs the bottle and starts chugging it. Oh yeah, that's... I, I could go for some Soothing Tonic. That sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's soothing and it's tonic. You know, it's, you know, it's practically the next best thing to an elixir. I only have the agitating tonic. <laughs> well, you need the kind that comes with gin, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, and, uh... and also, I want to add that when, when Prune is laying on the bed throwing a tantrum, this is yet another time when the camera points right at his crotch. Like, again, like, like maybe it was a more innocent time, but, like, damn it, children's movie. It was in his contract. <laughs> he, yeah he's just like he's a romantic lead in most of the rest of his career so he's got to fit that in in this movie somehow <sighs> yeah. um okay uh, so we go back to a montage of the department store yeah there have been no consequences of that whole oh adults playing with toys thing mm-hmm. but uh prune is in line to see santa and he almost gets into a fist fight with some kids yeah it is really something and he he's wearing this weird disguise like a or not so much a disguise he but he's like he just like has his weird little cape trying to conceal his face at least that's how i remember it. The, the 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 main thing from there that sticks out in my mind is that uh after he gets up blossom like stops the kids and he also picks up the tiny little wooden chair that prune was sitting on <laughs> like a uh, like, it, it's like a, a a chair for a toddler and for some reason, yeah. Yeah. So we get this sort of montage of Prune and Blossom trying to do things to sabotage uh, Santa, and it doesn't go well for them. It's really weird. Like, the first thing that happens is that Prune pulls out, I kid you not, a blowgun. And I'm not sure exactly what he accomplishes with it, but he seems really satisfied with himself. Well, it's like, well, like Sam is blowing up balloons, you know, like, you know, because he's a janitor and janitor's yeah, and prune with this pea shooter or blowgun or whatever it is, managed with some help from Blossom aiming it, manages to pop one of the balloons. But Sam just kind of takes it in stride. Uh, then he then he gets out a sprayer. Blossom gets out a thing to spray itching powder. And like one of the kids gets itches a little bit, but no one cares but then blossom gets the itching powder all over prune then he gets a disguise to try to scare the kids but that doesn't work um and then there's this one kid who's watching prune and like and the kid is like trying to make prune catch on fire with his bind um yeah there's a scene that the mystery science theater 3000 episode cuts out even though it's amazing where uh prune and blossom are like behind the chair underneath it and they're trying to light a stick of dynamite yeah, it's... it's really good. That might be the best part of the movie, just the single shot. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like like okay, like I know you don't like Christmas, you don't like Santa, but you're going to like kill forty people. Like it's going to be in the news, and you're going to be one of the victims if you're lucky. And, but like he's about to light it, and then that same kid just looks at him and goes no, like gives him a dirty look, and he backs off. <laughs> yeah, this is by the way the only thing he does that might prevent Christmas from coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see how a lack of balloons is going to get Santa from getting the rent or itching powder or whatever. 
but the fact that he's so easily bullied by children might be a solid reason that didn't make textual for why he hates them so much. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but like, yeah, if you want to stop Christmas, having terrorism in a department store might help. But yeah. <sighs> Remember, if you decide to implement this idea, you didn't hear it from us. Yeah. They, yeah. We, we Please don't blow people up in a department store or other places either. Um, Only in explosion approved <laughs> areas. If you want to blow someone up, go to an explosion zone. <laughs> yeah, you know, they have those at malls nowadays. And you, you pay like $10 to go in. Uh, you mean bathrooms? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Only after the chili eating contest. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. So... Sam sings a song about how Christmas comes and you got to be glad because it's required. Uh, Jonathan still hasn't found anything in the books about prune. We're just kind of checking in and it's now Christmas Eve. Oh yeah. Super important. So glad the elves spent so much time trying to find a child named Phineas T. Prune on the books. Yeah. They're, 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 they're probably way behind on their toy quotas, but oh well. Yeah. And now thinking about it, it is kind of weird that, he identify children by name there and not like some kind of numbering system because I can tell you that like multiple kids will have the same first and last names I feel like you've just evoked some kind of dystopian Santa Panopticon where there's a Santa security state and people are identified by number <laughs> and I'm, I'm here for this but it's a really weird idea for this movie well I mean you know the, the Santa Claus is coming to sound song is really weird that way just like no he knows. He knows if you've been bad or good. Like, there's there's a parody version where it's like, he knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness' sake. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. <laughs> oh god, this reminds me. There was this. I was listening to another podcast called Important If True, and it came up that they were somewhere in England or something. There's this Christmas-ish toy that's produced that is just like. It is a fake security camera that you would see on like a ceiling with a black dome and everything, but with like a red and green stripe thing around it. And it says it's like Santa's cam. So your children know to be good because <laughs> Santa is watching because we live in a hellish surveillance state dystopia. Wow. Uh, I, yeah, I don't I got nothing. Um, <laughs> so. So we go back to the department store and it's kind of after all the customers have left on Christmas Eve and like Santa and Sam are trying to do their thing and just like boxes start flying everywhere and stuff breaks. And then Prune comes in the store to taunt them. And it turns out that he's bought the department store. So Prims is now going to be Prunes. Yep. That's capitalism. Yep. Uh, and, but he, surprisingly he does actually pay them, but then he docks their pay for all the damaged toys, leaving them exactly $1. These aren't exactly like, especially subtle toy falling things. Like you see prunes can like reach up over a desk and shove a pile of boxes over. Yeah. It's yeah, it's blatant. And, and so afterwards they leave in, in defeat and. Like Prune goes outside in the snow and he's, he yells, victory is mine. And then Christmas, I don't think. Because apparently they just did not feel like editing his, his lines to make sense in English. <laughs> yeah. Well, that wasn't really part of the script. He just sort of screamed it unprompted. 
<laughs> I don't think that's why I'm in this movie. <sighs> um, so Sam and Santa are kind of walking around town while the while children are singing about how they're getting ready for bed on Christmas Eve, and th- this this is another like unintentionally creepy thing where the children are singing "I've got a date with Santa at half past Christmas time." God, they knew what dates were in the sixties. There's really no excuse for this. Like they at least figured that much out. Yeah, uh, maybe it's an Italian thing. <laughs> I I don't know, I, but yeah. So they they have two hours to go, and nothing has worked. Sam is ready to throw in the towel. Santa is hoping that there's going to be a miracle. And so this boy walks by whistling loudly and carrying a pine tree. Yeah, like an entire tree over his shoulder. He's just walking along nonchalantly like he is the coolest kid. Like, I swear, if he were three years older, he would have a lit cigarette in his mouth and (laughs) a black leather jacket. Yep. And like he he said he bought the tree on Christmas Eve because it's cheaper and it's like, well, okay, yeah, that that makes sense except that you didn't have to wait until 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve to get it that much cheaper. Yeah, and he asks Santa, well, he sees Santa and then he realizes, "Oh, wait, hey, you look kind of familiar." And what's it? He asks Santa to move closer to a lamppost to get a better look at him, which is a thing you say to strangers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the kid says he can feel in his bones that something's wrong. And he, when Sam explains what happens, uh, the boy says, don't give up hope. And so he starts just shouting to the neighborhood kids. I've no, just you know, wake up everyone. Wake up. Like, and so like some kind of magic makes the kids hear this and they all in their pajamas pick up their piggy banks and come to give money to Santa. Yeah, they just give him all their spare change, like busting open piggy banks and doing this weird GoFundMe thing. Yeah, and like, granted, it's less creepy than in Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, but that's not saying much, but it's still really weird the like, convenient telepathic summoning of children to aid yeah. Santa. And it only wakes up children. Like, there are no <laughs> adults who get woken up mm-hmm. by this. The, yeah, this boy is like just yelling at the top of his lungs and uh, in the middle of the night. And yeah, but... Oh god, maybe it's like the you know those websites that are like, oh yeah, you can hear this sound if you're under 30 or something? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> just really high register. Yeah, it's a noise you can only hear if you're under 18. Alright, um... So yeah, uh, so Santa reprises his song and realizes that what children are like when they're wide awake is apparently pretty cool in this fictional world. Yeah. I wish kids gave me money. Kids are cruel, Jack. (laughs) They've never once paid my rent. (laughs) Yeah, and I realize at this point, like, Santa is going to pay for his rent in change, in loose change. Yeah, kind of a dick move, but then he's giving it to this jerk, so... Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we go back to the North Pole, where Mrs. Claus is, like, over and over whispering, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming. Like, she is about to snap or something. And Prune is in the room waiting, and, like, when she's not looking, Prune gets up and push, turns the clock forward, and then when he's not looking, Mrs. Claus turns it back, because this just became a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah, it's it's real weird, like... They are in this bizarre Cold War stalemate of waiting. Mm-hmm. 
Prune, and of course, Prune sings about waiting. Yeah, that's how people express emotion in this world, I guess. Yes, it, I, I think Pink Floyd did a better job of singing about the passage of time. Uh, at this point, Santa and Sam just suddenly bust through the door with this huge sack of coins and dumps it all over Prune, who for some reason knows that this is enough money to pay the rent, I guess. Yeah, and he's really furious about it, but what can he do? Oh, his plans are ruined. Now he just has all this money. (laughs) (laughs) For Prune, it's not about the money. It's about vengeance on children. Yeah, he and he has a thing with children. But yeah, so they load up the Santa's magic sleigh and but Jonathan has found something, but there's not really time. But he slips a package onto the sleigh and the sleigh takes off and the reindeer look like really weird cheap dolls and they're not as creepy as man i've been watching a bunch of christmas riff tracks lately and there's the one that there's the mexican movie just called santa claus where it turns out that the reindeer are like weird clockwork robot things that are just abominations and it's not that bad but like the like each of the reindeer's legs is just like a stick and there's two and they like wiggle back and forth as it flies through the air and it just like looks like a really cheap weird toy that moves like no animal ever. What if the reindeer were toys? I, that would be kind of cool, actually, but that that's a level of creativity that I wouldn't expect from this movie. Yeah. yeah. So Santa is just going from house to house, and there's this montage of just shots of Santa and Sam. Yeah, it's like a slideshow. Like, after the fact, Santa is showing the elves slides with a projector or something. Yeah, just going to rooftops putting presents under trees, selfie in front of the Christmas tree. (laughs) So after this weird slideshow, Santa realizes, oh, hey, there's that one final present that Jonathan put on the sleigh for the last minute. And why? It's for Mr. Prune. So we cut to Mr. Prune's house. He is in bed, mumbling. The entire place is full of dust and cobwebs so blossom obviously isn't doing his job and also prune may be dead i don't know either, <laughs> or he either, either way he must have been like driven into some kind of psychic shock here like he is devastated yeah like like is uh is blossom actually a real person or is, is he some kind of delusion that prune has uh who can say <laughs> gaming theory Blossom is not real. Uh, I'll start my YouTube channel. Um, so Santa and Mrs. Claus and Sam come there and they accidentally, like one of the, I can't remember who, one of them sneezes and they wake him up and Prune at first thinks that he's about to meet the ghosts of Christmas, but it's, it's just them. And he gets really mad and he's like, you know, you know, invasion of privacy or whatever, but they give him the toy. Hey, pro tip, whenever you write, if you make a movie about Christmas, don't remind people of better Christmas stories. <laughs> well, don't remind people of better movies when you're making bad movies in general, but that's a, that's a whole thing. Um, yeah. So uh, it turns out that uh, there's like when, uh, Oh, Jonathan sent a letter along with it. And cause he found a postcard from young Phineas asking for a sailboat for Christmas uh, with the, with, that ends with "I love you" and "I am five years old." Aww, yeah, that was a really nice moment. It was a heartbreaker for me because I was like expecting to have always been fifty years old, but <laughs> so it goes. Yeah, so apparently what happened was 
he wrote a letter to Santa a long time ago asking for a gift. And that letter fell somewhere, I guess. It was literally behind a desk or something like that. God. (laughs) And they never found it in, like, however many years old he is now, minus five. Yep. And and apparently, like, the other kids made fun of him for being the only five-year-old with a top hat (laughs) and a mustache. Uh, Yeah. No, what they actually made fun of him for was that he was the only kid who didn't get a Christmas present. So he thought to himself, oh, I must not be a child then. And then blocked out all memory of his childhood, just like at will, I guess. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Um, should have told him he's a Jehovah's Witness. That would have solved everything. Uh, okay. So, yeah, so they clean up his house while a chorus of unseen children saying, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And, like, while doing that, for whatever reason, they, like, you know, put up Christmas decorations. And so Prune has a total 180 change of heart. And he kind of goes out in the streets and starts yelling Merry Christmas at people. And he sings a song about how, why can't every day be Christmas? And, like, he chases down some boy and gives him the toy sailboat. Yeah, which I think sort of ties back into Santa's line about, oh, hey, I give presents to children so they'll learn to give also. At least I think it's meant to be a tie into that. That's a good pull, I think. Yeah, I could see that. It's just, it came across like people would have been like screaming and running away from him the way he was desperately yelling Merry Christmas and like shoving the sailboat at this boy. Yeah. That's why you give it to children instead of adults because adults will just terrorize people and force their presence onto them instead. Oh <laughs> uh, gosh. The children don't have the upper body strength to pin somebody down and force a present on them. <laughs> God, could you imagine if children were awake and Santa went to deliver presents to like Asian people and they have to like refuse the gift like a billion times? Uh, <laughs> yeah, my parents are Eh, well, I've got a billion stories about ways that I have forced presents into people's possessions without them knowing. But uh, that, that's for a story for another time, because this story is about Christmas. Yes, and rent. Um, yeah, so a, a sort of nice touch, even if it's trying to reverse something that was kind of terrible, was that as the credits roll, Bl- Blossom finally brings the dog inside. And thankfully, the dog is, in fact, alive, despite being left out in the snow. Yeah. Then it's just happy ending. Yay. Yep. All right. So that's our summary of the movie. Now let's get into our usual departments. So first, would you recommend this film? Hmm. I think there is maybe 35% of a really sweet movie in here that's really nice and whimsical. And then the rest is filler. Like, I might recommend a 22-minute cut of this movie if somebody made that, but the actual movie is... The rest of it doesn't really hold the weight of the good part. So I guess the answer is I wouldn't, but if somebody decided to make a slightly better version of it, I think it would actually be a really nice Christmas movie. Uh, A slightly better version of it does exist where three people make fun of it on a screen. (laughs) Yeah, which is available on Netflix. Yeah, if you do insist on watching it, probably the the MST3K version is your best bet. But uh, but yeah, it's and it's another one of those movies that like 
there's some really talented people in there who are being wasted. Like I, I would be down for watching other movies with uh, Bratzi and with Trip in them, but yeah, I, I by itself without any riffing or anything, I cannot recommend this movie. Yeah. Okay. It was season eleven, episode thirteen. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For me, yeah, again, I would only recommend this movie with the riffs. That way you get the sweet content, uh, 35%, and then you can just sort of listen to people make fun of the rest of the nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what other Christmas media would you recommend? I'm going to uh, go for kind of a long shot here because I think that all of the all of my first picks for this were things that everybody's already internalized as a Christmas movie, but I think that if you're willing to get through the fairly racist first five minutes, Gremlins is actually a really solid Christmas horror movie. Mm. I need to watch that again. I haven't watched it in decades. Yeah, I was going to suggest doing that for one of our upcoming things, because I haven't seen that since I was like 11 years old. I might regret this recommendation if I see it again. <laughs> uh, I have never seen it, period. Is it like a... I generally don't watch horror things, though. Is it like especially Viscera-filled? It's like... It's definitely not. It's like the kind of horror movie that you can watch when you're like seven years old and be okay with it. It's like, it's goofy. It's a comedy horror movie. It might not even be a horror movie, but I Mm. was 11 when I saw it, so it felt like it. Yeah, there are a lot of things that are horror movies when you're 11. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I'm going to recommend, I I wanted to like recommend another B movie. My A choice would be uh, the uh, live action adaptation of Terry Pratchett's Hogfather. That's amazing. Um, but for a B movie, I want to recommend Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Uh, it's still a very strange movie with Santa Claus and also with Martians. Um, but it's just a lot more fun and goofy. And th- it's also a rare movie that has the distinction of having been riffed three different times. Because Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Rift Tracks and Cinematic Titanic all did riffs of it. Uh, the Martians, that's the one with the Matt's Damon, right? <laughs> yes, he gets conquered by Santa Claus. Uh, no, it's guys with green makeup and green outfits and weird helmets with antennas on, and they have food pills instead of regular food, and it's very strange. For me, I would recommend having a look at, and everybody's already seen this probably, but Nightmare Before Christmas, but try to view it. Uh, through the lens of a cautionary tale of cultural appropriation. (laughs) Yeah. It is the story of a guy who goes to see another thing from another culture that he thinks is cool. Then he thinks, oh, awesome. I am going to go ahead and copy this and make my own version of it and bring it to my people. Then he gives it to all of his people, which, you know, starts off kind of okay-ish. But then... You know, even though he gets everything wrong about it, but then he decides, you know what? My thing is going to be the real version, and I'm going to spread it to everybody. <laughs> and then things go terribly wrong. So, yeah, again, cautionary tale, cultural appropriation. Jack Skellington isn't a bad person. He's just made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Wait, is he a bad person? Um, I would have to watch it again. I don't. I don't think he is. I mean, on, on, on the other hand, he isn't a person so much as an animated skeleton, but... I mean, we've all got animated skeletons. That's true, yeah. Okay, 
so uh, here's an idea that Char had. We want to talk about like our respective like Christmas traditions and stuff that people like stuff you can do for Christmas that people might not be aware of, or just something that you think would be kind of fun to talk about. Yeah, mine's not exactly a comedy beat, but I think that what we do is we have these giant, like, three-foot-long stockings, and we each, you know, are filled with tiny things, and we take, like, 20 minutes on Christmas morning taking turns pulling things out of them, and I think it really builds anticipation for the main event. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, for me, every year, I have a lot of online friends. I think I have more than in local areas. So what I do every year is I set up kind of a secret Santa thing. And it's just kind of a nice way of giving a little something back to people for being willing to put up with you for a year (laughs) and not break the bank doing it. And everybody gets to have a nice time. And because it's now the future, well, actually, by the time you listen to this podcast, it will be the past. You can order stuff for digital distribution. So you don't even have to deal with shipping or regions or whatever. Yeah, that, the, the digital thing is helpful when we have friends who are over in Europe and shipping is outrageous. So, yeah. Steam! Yep. So my family doesn't really... Like, 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 like the Clooney's are, like, go if you go back far enough, are basically a bunch of hillbillies. So, like, our family traditions are, like... Uh, my grandma was really big into making deviled eggs at most of our family gatherings. And her secret for that was that she would use the, some of the juice from sweet pickles in the, uh, in the mix for the yolk part. Um, and also like my dad was really big into the Dr. Demento. So we, we would listen to the Dr. Demento Christmas album. Um, and the only tracks from that that I would recommend are, uh, there's one called like, I'm a Christmas tree by with Dr. Demento himself. And then Santa Claus and his old lady by Cheech and Chong. Um, but, uh, even though I'm going on a lot longer than you guys, uh, a couple of things that I've discovered by myself, uh, one, every year I get the winter solstice tea blend from Pete's P-E-T-S. And that's really good. It's like, because like holiday teas are usually like have way too much like cinnamon and stuff in them. This is like black tea with kind of a mild blend of like uh, vanilla and orange peel. It's really nice. Um, and also like, just because like, you know, the idea that fruitcake is terrible is just like a hack comedy thing. So I was just yeah. like, screw it. I'm going to try it. And so I, I went to like a world market and I've tried like, marzipan stolen and and fruitcake and so on and some of those are actually really nice if you're into like you have to be on board for like candied cherries i love those but they can be really nice um yeah um in particular uh there's these like mini uh mince pies mini mince meat pies so it's just like a little tiny pie with like uh sliced up like apple and raisin with spices in it those are so good so check those out um Okay, uh, so we haven't been doing this, which is a thing that uh, most podcasts do. I want to mention our like social media accounts and maybe plug things if you can think of any. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at NekoAaron, spelled N-E-K-O-E-W-E-N. Um, I'm on Mastodon at NekoAaron at Mastodon.social. Uh, look me up under Aaron Clooney on Google+, while that persists. Um 
And I wanted to briefly mention that because uh, I do, uh, I self-publish tabletop role-playing games. I just came out with the Dungeon Zone, which is a very strange meta game where you role-play the part of role-players who are sitting down to play D&D or a non-trademarked equivalent. And it's very silly and fun. Yeah, my social media presence is basically a Twitter account I don't use very much on account of I don't want to contribute content to the social hell sphere, but it's at Grant Y. Chen, G-R-A-N-T-Y-C-H-E-N, and I'm on Mastodon as Yenwei, Y-E-N-W-A-Y, at Mastodon.social. Oh yeah, I'm also that on Tumblr. And I'm Goblin Society and all the things. Yeah, I'd say follow me on Tumblr if you follow me anywhere, because I don't use anything else. Yeah, Tumblr's probably where I'm most active. It's the only good social network. <laughs> all right, uh, so let's get into Amazon reviews to bring this whole thing home. All right, uh, so you guys got the Google Doc? Who wants to go first? Okay, I'll try first. All right, this review is from B Movie Maniac, who rates it 3.0 out of 5 stars. It's not the movie, it's the memories. Back in what must have been 1970, my brother, sister, and I went to the Aldelphi Theater one winter afternoon with three of our friends and for a dollar and 25 cents each, sat through this movie four times in a row. It was cheesy back then, more so now, but it brings back fond memories. The only Christmas movie I ever saw in the theater. I... <sighs> You know, I watched the movie three times for this podcast, and that was too much. That was not in a row. <laughs> All right. Uh, next review is by Nice Person, which is a great handle. Uh, 1.0 out of five stars. Although I usually like foreign films and really enjoy a Christmas movie, I could never recommend this movie because of bad acting, terrible casting, and even worse dubbing. Curious as to why Santa had a very gray beard instead of white. I can only guess it was due to being a poorly produced grade B foreign film. Reading the other reviews, I concluded that most of the great reviews are from viewing this as a child. Understandable, because I am sentimental too. This one's by B. Swanson. 5.5 out of 5 stars. What Christmas means to kids. Wait, 5.5? Oh, sorry. 5.0 out of 5 stars. He, he didn't like it so much that he broke the rating scale. <laughs> Love this movie. So well done. I wish more people would realize that this is not animated. I would recommend this to kids and adults. Wow. <laughs> I wish more people would realize this is not animated is a baffling statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, do people look at this and just think somebody out there is really good with gradients? This is a really good rotoscoping, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Next is from Roberta C. Williams. 5.0 out of 5 stars. Had the VHS, but it wore out. It came faster than expected, and they are great. I can't say much more about this one, except I love it. Apparently you can't, yeah. From Ann Dillard, 2.0 out of 5 stars. 2 stars. Disappointed. <laughs> Is it sure it's not Kevin Sorbo? Disappointed! <laughs> uh, from Diva63. 3.0 out of 5 stars, 3 stars. I do not remember buying this product, but I wrote a review. It just shows up when you close your eyes. <laughs> uh, Moser Gray, 1.0 out of 5 stars. 
creepier than anything Rob Zombie ever did. One of the creepiest Christmas movies I ever had the misfortune to watch. In fact, I only watched it because Mystery Science Theater 3000 did a riff on it. All I know is that the head elf Jonathan will haunt your nightmares forevermore as he motions you to go back to work by crawling under his legs. Asterisk, shudder, asterisk. Yeah, yeah. TPD-07, 5.55 stars. Best Christmas movie ever. Christmas classic. Wonderful that it's on Prime. Yeah, there are a lot of exclamation points in this one. I can buy just people liking it because of nostalgia from when they were kids, but best ever? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, okay, and lastly, from Barry B. Yellen, 1.0 out of 5 stars. Do not buy this version. This is an unauthorized version which infringes upon a copyright. Buy the version distributed by Hen's Tooth Video, which is the authorized version. It has different artwork and is not advertised as coming in a slim case. It is also listed on Amazon.com, the Christmas that almost wasn't. Thank you, the producer of the Christmas that almost wasn't. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, I, I looked it up and Barry B. I don't know if it's him, but Barry B. Yellen is in fact the name of the producer. And like he produced one other thing in his life, according to IMDb. That'd be a good name for some, a good fake name for the yells all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that that was why I'm like, is that's not a real name, is it? Barry B. Yellen. Like, I could not make that up. I could not think of that. All right, so uh, that's gonna do it for us. Yeah, thank you for joining us on this episode. Have a great night, everyone. Be kind. Rewind. <laughs>